You're listening to Intelligent Data, a podcast by Proficient. Proficient is a global digital consultancy that's transforming how the world's biggest brands connect with customers and grow their businesses. Throughout this series, you'll learn how valuable data is today and how it can transform your business. And now here's our host, Arvind Morali, Data Chief Strategist and Principal at Proficient. Hello and welcome to the Intelligent Data Podcast. In this podcast, you'll hear Abhishek Majumdar discuss the business intelligence trends and some best practice on how BI technologies are shaping up analytical decision-making in various industries. You will hear how business users abstract the complexity doing analytics. And we did have a heated discussion about the centralized versus decentralized analytic platforms. Then we wrapped it up by touching up on OKRs versus KPIs. Let's take a listen. Some staggering statistics from Gartner. By 2022, 40% of the machine learning model development and scoring will be done in the analytical products that do not have machine learning as their primary goal. By 2023, 90% of the world's top 500 companies will have converged analytic governance into broader data and analytics governance initiatives. Modern analytical technologies have evolved from the traditional BI workloads into visualization and explainability of predictive and prescriptive models. Here to discuss that is Abhishek Majumdar, who is a BI practice director at Proficient. Abhi, welcome to the show. Glad to be part of this, Arvind. I think this is going to be a very good conversation. Just a little bit about me. I lead the analytics practice here at Proficient. Believe it or not, I kind of place myself as an analytics evangelist. My goal across the board has been to have meaningful conversations listen to our clients, understand the journey they have embarked on, and how we can add value in the process. And while doing that, how can we drive meaningful insights, meaningful conversations that provide a lot of value add to them? I have provided my expertise or oversight to various projects across various verticals in the analytics space. So, you know, looking forward to this. Awesome. Does analytics storytelling Ring a bell? Do you use that often? I'm assuming so, right? Yes, absolutely. The analytic storytelling is the crux of everything. Think of data as our new asset or gold or fuel, whatever you want to term it. And storytelling is basically those meaningful insights that your data is providing across the board. So when you think of a modern analytics platform, that's the crux of it, the essence of everything is basically you put together these different information that different aspects of data is providing you and how you're building that story around it to drive this 360 view of the customer whatever the the vertical is in so does that make sense it does yeah and and you know you mentioned the data is the new coal the oil and the gold they've moved past that uh, nowadays, they use data as the new soil. Yes, it is dirty, but without soil, you cannot grow plants. So obviously, it's the underlying foundation for everything, but it's still going to be dirty. So Absolutely. That's, yeah. that's going to be the new analogy. All right. Um, key capabilities of modern analytic platforms. So Proficient has touched and worked with a number of BI platforms. What are maybe the top two to three capabilities that you see in these modern analytic platforms? To me. The biggest evolution that's coming out of these platforms is what we 
like to call the clickless analytics piece of it, wherein the way we have evolved here is initially we used to do the data prep and then lend its way into the whole analytics piece. Right now, we have good cloud platforms where we just feed the data and it gives us these insights out of the box. So clickless analytics is something that's forward-looking and a lot of people are going to leverage. Also, I think natural language to analytics straight up is, is where we are heading towards. There's a lot of devices we interact with. We ask questions. I think that's going to lend its way into these, these forward-looking analytics platform. But overall, again, I would like to say in the last decade or so, our problems has not changed so much. Like you said, data is soil. It's dirty. It has always been dirty. How we make meaning out of it, how we transition it into a standardized platform, and then how do we enable all our clients or, or different target user groups to drive actionable insights out of it on these various platforms? I think from framework perspective, they all give or take follow the similar concepts. It's just you have to play to the advantage of these platforms here and there. So the the two trends that you talked about, which we'll we'll deep dive a little bit, is the clickless analytics and the natural language analytics, which I believe are the trends that are very important for the BI vendors, but more importantly for these non-technical folks who are increasingly becoming data aware and they try to tell a story. So these capabilities will certainly help them accelerate that journey. Continuing on that journey of the BI vendors, I'm seeing a couple of things happening in the market. One, there is this market consolidation. For example, how Tableau was brought by Salesforce. Google got Looker a couple of years ago. I'm seeing these quote-unquote BI vendors getting consolidated by the larger platform vendors. And then the other one, while that is happening, on the other side, you're seeing the ThoughtSpots and the Domos of the world doing a cloud-first approach. And they're very happy to stick to their market. They don't want to consolidate their platform. Why is this happening? Why are these bigger platform vendors buying analytics? Are they lacking it or are they seeing it increasingly important as a part of their stack or both? Simply put, it's a standardization play. So a lot of these bigger vendors approach things from an application perspective, wherein they were more like the data gatherers, right? Where our users go in, they put in a sales booking, they, they book an order or HR folks go in and say, okay, we are hiring somebody. So these applications were fronting all of these activities and gathering a lot of data. But end of the day, when it came to driving insights from like, for example, a ERP or CRM, which has so many different facets of subject areas built into it, to tell that story out of this whole application or silos of subject areas in each of these applications, it was more a very custom approach in the past. What they figured out is if we standardize this and harmonize it across our subject areas, then we know what our pipeline looks like. We know what our sales is like. We know what kind of support we can provide from a product perspective. You're not putting that story together. So that's why, you know, Salesforce went and bought Tableau, for example, right? Now, the synergy here is back in the day in Tableau, if we had to do some automation, we had to write these APIs in the back end, very crude approach. Salesforce already had MuleSoft. 
So now we take that synergy, bring in the velocity aspect where they have acquired even that company for more vertical-oriented workflows to be incorporated. So you're seeing they're putting the pieces together to standardize this whole thing. So all of a sudden, once you acquire this big analytics application like Tableau, you can now orchestrate, automate, bring insights to your users rather than your users going to the insight. It's more reactive approach in the way they are going about it. So now you've standardized the platform. And to your point, when we talk about these cloud-first technologies like the domos and the ThoughtSpots, remember back in the day when we used to stand up uh, analytics application, we had to worry about infrastructure. We had to worry about databases being stored up. Cloud has shifted the paradigm where everything is on demand. It's like a Uber economy in technology. It's infrastructure on demand, analytics on demand, data as a service on demand. And that's why they want to stick to that whole framework where, for example, the Microsofts, the Googles, they are supporting big data centers across the board. Why? So that they take the burden of supporting all these services and us or our business users or our prospective clients they can just go about driving valuable insights from all of this. So, and in that aspect, ThoughtSpot and Domo, they will always have a niche because you don't have to stand up any infrastructure. You don't need a huge data engineering team to support initiatives like that. As long as you understand your data, feed the system and you're ready to go. Absolutely. So so let me just consolidate what you said for our listeners. I love the way you, you're thinking through this. So essentially, One meaningful way of thinking about this is these applications, think about the Workdays, the Salesforce, all of these guys have been doing specific business processes. What was missing in their portfolio was the storytelling piece, right? That was one problem. So they're becoming from applications to platforms, they're becoming more consolidated and standardized, like you said. But more importantly, I like your second point, which I think is the key here. All of these guys, they've become so popular in the market, like Adobe, Adobe Cloud has Adobe Analytics, you've got Salesforce, you've got Workdays, Azure. All of these guys have been so popular the last decade or so, and they've collected a ton of data about their customers for their customers, right? But their own customers have to use third parties, which are not necessarily native to their platform, to do some analytics. What if I go and buy these third-party vendors? Now what I do is I not only use the data that I already collected over the last decade, I can even use the data from other enterprise systems. And now I can become the centralized analytic platform that consolidates all the data. So even here, like you said, data is the soil, data is the is the key, but now you have a, a tool that can consolidate this data and represent a complete end-to-end story for you. Right. Is that the right way to think about this? Yes. And the strides we made in in, in cloud. Also, the API framework or the API approach has standardized some of this. Before you had to make these systems talk to each other, you had to exactly know what they need and stuff. Now that we have this standard API approach, which every product or every platform furnishes, and you have this way to go across clouds, go across applications in clouds. That was unheard of before, correct? So it's a standardized API connector play. It's a standardized data collection, transformation, blend play. And then finally it lends its way into like the clickless analytics. And then you embed all of that into one common place, which basically brings us to that analytics hub kind of concept. So 
it's it's all kind of bringing all that stuff together for us. Absolutely. I'm going to use that word analytics hub. I like that uh, analogy here. So let's get into the big white elephant in the room, AI. And I'm going to use the word augmented intelligence, not artificial intelligence. <laughs> you know, augmented intelligence or artificial intelligence, whatever you like to call it, they seem to be a theme that many analytic vendors are offering and exploring. Have you, in, in your experience with your customers, have you done a lot of that? Are you seeing increasingly data scientists becoming analytic guys and analytic guys exploring data science, especially with these out-of-the-box AI capabilities? What, what, what are you seeing? I would literally go with the word BH augmented. The reason here is at one point, AI was a niche. If you now, for example, take e-commerce as a platform, right now, every e-commerce platform provides you virtual agents right off the bat when you provision it. I, I mean, you can have a dropship store on Shopify and you will have all these virtual agents, ad managers just working for you right off the bat. So that's augmented. To some extent, it's templatized for you. But what they're saying is we still want the human element in there in the sense we want our machines infrastructure to learn about the various patterns, but we still want a human element to take the right direction or course correct and stuff. And that's what I call truly augmented rather than complete dependence on machines and stuff like that to, to drive our day to day. Your examples are like Amazon's personalizing recommendations or how we can improve quality of healthcare. For example, take things like the, the Pelotons or you can take the, the AI platform, which is helping with like, you know, home workouts like tunnels. You get a lot of feedback from your own data. Hey, you lifted 45 pounds yesterday. I don't have to spot you anymore. That's the kind of feedback they're building into the system, but there is still human element so that, you know, you don't hurt yourself. Okay. So think of it that way. Then there's the Whoop devices, which is tracking everything for you. Your heartbeats, your your oxygen ratings, this, that. There's different ways how they are bringing this augmented analytics or augmented capabilities into the devices we use, the platforms we interact with, things like that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting you bring it up uh, specifically to the Pelotons and Fitbits because Juliet Silver the healthcare chief strategist was actually on our show prior to this one. And, and uh, she mentioned very similar thinking, right? There, there are ways for you to converse these IoT devices. Pelotons and, and Fitbits are, are less pervasive. Think about the heart rate monitor, the, the devices that actually goes into a human body to monitor your primaries. And, and those kind of devices are extremely sensitive and important. And you want streaming analytics to be running all the time, which is the difference between life and death right? In many situations. So absolutely agree with you. And and yeah, I, I think it's important that you start seeing these augmented intelligence capabilities more and more into the BI technology, because that human in the loop will be satisfied uh, in addition to some of the, you know, unsupervised machine learning algorithms, if you will, right? Yeah, I think it's a perfect balance in the sense, you know, it taps into the, the SME aspect of the human component. Like, I have been dealing with the meat and potatoes of my data. I know my supply chain behaves in this way because this is the kind of inventory I'm moving because this is the kind of product we are supporting or, or building. So you will always need that little iterative human touch to, to drive that aspect of it. And that's gonna augment your value proposition where yes, 
you're leveraging the scale of these machines, clouds, whatnot, but you're still leveraging my expertise of me maintaining my books, my inventory, all that stuff, and taking the right decision. So it's a very nice mix of things right there. Love it. Love it. So we talked about the analytical, the augmented intelligence side. Now let's talk the other side, which is data engineering. Increasingly, BI technologies are offering data engineering. I mean, it's not an exhaustive, it's not a thorough, complete data engineering, but it's enough for any non-technical user to go and grab the data they're looking for. You know, when I started my career, Excel used to do a lot of that. And I'm sure it's still doing, you know, 90% of the world runs in Excel. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm sure that it's still your go-to data engineering tool, meaning you can build your own data set, then you can use whatever BI technologies of your choice and do the analytics, right? But I'm seeing vendors offering at least some basic data engineering capabilities to go and get the data you're looking for from different systems, consolidate it, build your data model, and then you can run your analytics on top of that. Where do you think that is going? Do you think vendors like Altrix and Talend need to think about a different game? Or do you think they still have a unique value proposition in the market that is different from what the analytical vendors are doing? What are your thoughts there? My short answer is, the tools like Alteryx and Talon, they will not be replaced. They have a very intricate role to play. This is where we talk about data engineering or data ops or data pipeline activities versus data blending to support or enhance your analytics capabilities. Those are two different things. Data engineering, data ops basically deals with trillions and trillions or millions and rows of data being moved around or being sourced and replicated and audited across the board. And this is where these enterprise type data management tools are lending their strategy into in the sense, hey, we are going to push down all the heavy work to whatever your native databases are, but we're going to orchestrate it. Yes, we have some pluses and minuses, and this is where we fit in. So where they come into the picture is big organizations with huge data engineering teams running huge Spark clusters, supporting different data sciences on initiatives on the edge, analytics applications on the edge. That's where they come in. Now, when you take the data prep capabilities on these some of these analytics tools, they abstract a lot of complexities that different datas bring in, and they have figured out this light way or a more intuitive way of bringing data together without truly understanding how a data guy is positioning. To them, if I see a sales rep ID in one system and another sales rep ID in another system, I should be able to blend it without any complexity. How that magic is happening in the back end, I don't think the end user is privy to it. They just know it's like doing a VLOOKUP on Excel. Neither would they want to spend time on it, right? I mean, why would an end user focus on data complexities? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So what you're saying essentially is that your data engineering teams are going to do the, the three Vs, the volume, the variety, and the velocity, right? Exactly. They will handle all of that in their infrastructure and leave the, as you said, the, the abstraction of that uh, away from the end user. And the analytic capabilities then just focuses on what do I need and why do I need it for and less about all the backend stuff. Yeah. Right? Exactly. And that takes away some of the complexities or, or even the way we used to deliver projects. We, we have evolved uh, where a lot of our users, their pain point was every time I want to make a change, I need to go back to 
my technical group or resources and ask them to propagate that, that whole thought process has shifted where, again, we are following a lot of agile approaches, but these light approaches of blending data and twisting it and wrangling it has kind of expedited the process or expedited uh, how uh, we create more analytics products and content across the board. So it's a mix of velocity, it's a mix of quality, it's a mix of abstraction, of complexity, and how all these things come together for these teams. Since you mentioned uh, Agile a few times now, let's talk about that a little bit. I am hearing a mixed message from a lot of our customers about centralized versus decentralized or distributed analytic product teams. What is your opinion, your preference, and why do you prefer one over the other? You can prefer both too, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Centralized versus decentralized analytic product teams. Well, we used to have centralized, right? We used to do top-down. Yeah, we, uh, yep. <laughs> and uh, we used to create products which didn't have a lot of adoption. Again, everybody is guilty of it. I think I'm also guilty of it. And we always used to then wonder why is such and such business group not leveraging all this work that we put in. So over a period of time, we have evolved and learned. And if you ask me, distributed analytics product teams with a shared services approach is the best way to tackle some of these you know, fast moving scenarios, provided you have a C4E in place, like center of enablement. That way you have done the blueprinting for these teams to say, hey, when you're doing X, Y, and Z, this is your tech stack, this is your consumption, this is your TCO, you will always leverage the technical folks as a shared services because you will need the infrastructure people, you will need the data guys, you will need the security folks. So we are enabling you in this framework and that's the way to go about it. So you mentioned a couple of things there from a distributed perspective or decentralized product analytic product teams. What is your recommended approach? What have you seen work best? Is it more business unit driven, like one squad or pod, whatever agile term you want to use per business unit, one for marketing, one for sales, one for HR, so on and so forth? Or is it more one for one per, say, a use case? For example, a supply chain use case that touches a lot of these areas that I just mentioned. What What is your recommendation on the decentralized kind of shared service model? I think it's very hard to fit it into a box per se, because, you know, we come across different clients who have evolved in different ways in their journeys. Okay. Some people already have a very good program initiatives in place, and they might have bifurcated their programs into different pillars. Like I have a resiliency program. I have a, a efficiency program. I have a get data to my users program. And we are at a different stage in journey in each of these pillars. So in that case, you will have to kind of peel the onion that way, enable it. Simplest answer, you can actually take the business unit approach, but you have to draw a fine line. I mean, there can be 50 departments in many of or more than north of 50 departments, and it becomes very hard to triangulate everybody in one place. So it's a fine balance you have to draw. So when we think about it, what we do is we say, okay, if it's finance, mortgage, servicing, probably all they, all of them can be clubbed together and enabled via a shared services approach from IT. In the sense, we put in a framework to say, this is your intake process. This is how you're going to route your requests. This is the bare metal approach of provisioning, 
securing, acquiring data, and then you're on your way. You have a platform to play around with all your sandboxing activities. You do your analytics and you move on. And then if, if you think you need more scale to your productionalized workloads, let's talk about it. There should be another approach to it. So I don't know if that addresses um, to some extent. Yeah, it does. I think one thing that's consistent in your statement is you still you still believe or you've seen this IT team working as a um, kind of support system in the back end, whether you want scalability, yes. flexibility, and then the business team, depending on how they've already thought through their 2021 objectives, for example, you will go one way or the other. The, the yeah. decentralized approach works one way or the other. Honestly, I don't want IT to be a bottleneck anymore in any of these initiatives. They should be more enablers than the doers, right? So that's how we... or at least gatekeepers of security per se, because there's audit reads and stuff like that. But beyond that, I think we have enough technological improvements and scale and compute available where our businesses can do a lot of things themselves. So right, um, awesome. So let's uh, let's change gears into the pretty side, digital transformation, right? It's particularly focused on user experience. You know, I was listening to a podcast and somebody was stating that if you're able to see your dashboard for two minutes, less than two minutes, and you're able to tell a story, you've successfully designed a, a fantastic visualization aspect of the dashboard. This practice mainly comes from the way you, you design a user interface, right? It's got to be very intuitive. It's got to be very uh, self-service. What are you seeing in, in terms, I mean, with, with the complexity of the, the data, as you said, abstracting the complexity itself, less and less relevant, how much time and effort has been put into designing an actual dashboard, something that tells that analytic story that you talked about? Right. So human consumption behavior is something that needs to be attributed to that aspect of it in the sense, initially, before Remember, when we were putting dashboards, we were not UI experts, okay? We were not US experts either. We didn't know if I'm telling a story, a bigger card to a smaller card, left hand to right hand side makes better sense. Or if I want to highlight something, we can have multi-sized widgets on a dashboard to tell your story because the human mind comprehends things different ways, okay? If there's a bigger tile and I'm looking at it and it says, I say it will it will have my first impact. You know, that's how I'm going to interact with it. So these aspects were not present. More and more, I'm finding these synergies where that consumption behavior, how, you know, we like to say the left-hand side and the right-hand side of the brain have different aspects to it, right? One is the creative aspect. One is the processing aspect of that creativity, right? So we have to adhere to that. To me, you have to understand if I'm placing somewhere on a dashboard, it should tell a story and it has an impact to that particular placement. And understanding that is very important. So to me, you you combine the UX piece, the UI piece, and then you layer in the BI piece. That's what I call the humane way of doing BI, rather than just throwing six widgets on a pane and saying, hey, good, look, I got insights, interact with it. It's, it's the design thinking aspect uh, focused on the empathy of the user, right? Yes. So you put yourself exactly. in their shoes and see, I mean, every, not every user, you can just pass them an Excel file and say, go figure what's what the data says. You've got to build a dashboard. You've got to build something on top of that that will explain them a story, right? Yes, exactly. Um, got it, got it. Don't make it toxic with like six <laughs> or eight widgets 
and it's just a bunch of bars and some scorecards here there right we need to understand how on our daily basis when we wake up and consume news or anything like that how our brains processing it then layer that into the subject matter expertise of the storytelling and then do the placements and stuff and that that's where everything's playing towards if you see thought spots you would see that their interface is very very similar to like google because they are enabling search and clickless analytics so they don't want to change the experience they know that this works google has been a white page for for a long time so i see okay that that's an interesting proposition so you you're saying depending on the the space you play whether it's a search analytics whether it's a natural language processing whether it's a traditional you know executive dashboards and operational dashboards there's a pattern that you see emerging for each one of these types of analytics they're all analytics and yes. and each one has a design thinking way that's that's very interesting and mobile has become a default option for all the vendors does your visualization change when you put a mobile in addition to it no most of our applications now support refactoring into the mobile layout so you just have to keep that in mind gone are the days where we used to build a dashboard and then build caveats if i'm seeing it on a blackberry it's going to look like that if i'm seeing it on apple it's going to look no nowadays we i think ui wise there is a standard design pattern most of our bi vendors are adhering to that because they do understand everybody wants to consume things on the mobile devices so that's how it's being leveraged and it's it's a out of the box feature i mean just think of microsoft teams right uh teams on your desktop teams on your uh mobile the 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 ui or the experience is not any different so that's how they're approaching it and you know just one other question on the on the the vendors and their value proposition i i've seen a lot of vendors especially the large platform place like salesforce and microsoft offering these things called industry accelerators because you can only do certain things regardless of the number of implementations you do a executive dashboard is going to be the same thing it might be different data sets but the representation is still going to be the same and then the same thing with operational metrics your kpis are very similar in a same domain do these accelerators help BI implementations, do these vendor accelerators help you in your implementations? I think they're a good conversation starter, if you ask me, um, honestly. In the sense, for example, your marketing team is leveraging a bunch of MarTech technologies, and they're struggling to put the data together in the sense, hey, I, I'm using HubSpot for something, you know, I'm using a local for something else, and I'm still trying to drive value or, or a story from all these different silos of data. But when you tell them that, hey, look, there is a standard app which actually tends to these MarTech integrations and there are ready-made connectors to it. And this is your first five flavors of insights you get. Obviously, the KPIs can be tailored, but that gives them that immediate build versus buy idea. Like they don't have to start from scratch. So your ideation starts occurring right there because they have a reference point now and they're like oh this makes sense this is where we're making good taking good leverage of our leads pipeline and converting them or whatnot or this is how our conversion rate in campaigns is great because i mean give or take marketing strategies has changed but the kpis to track has not right i mean they're looking at conversion rates and this and that and if you have something which is readily available for them to iterate upon ideate upon that's that's a great thing and that's where everything's heading. Like I told you about the Salesforce, MuleSoft, and Velocity. 
that is that play. Got it. You've mentioned KPIs a few times. I, I'm interested to know your thought, um, and then we're, we're just about to wrap up. But um, what is your thought on objectives and key results? I'm increasingly hearing that KPIs are becoming irrelevant and OKRs are becoming the new KPIs in the market. Are you seeing a lot of the OKR, like an end-to-end objectives and key results, implemented with any of your customers? Have you seen that adoption or not yet? I have seen that on some of our mature clients. Again, objectives change, right? Because the business is transforming really fast. We went from doing on-premise business to digital, delivering digital products, interacting with users digitally way more than physically. Take it healthcare, take it e-commerce, whatever. We are doing that more and more. So the way they are measuring things and the objective around that is changing. But the base KPIs that tend to those objectives, I don't think they have changed unless you, you know, you added more fragments to your business or more, uh, you know, if you've acquired a new business line, then I understand that. Uh, how you would measure it, go about it. But to me, there are always certain base components that will never change. Your objectives will always change. And how you tailor your base components to those future-looking objectives for an organization, how can you foolproof yourself uh, with least impact? That's what we need to uh, kind of make sure we keep that in our roadmap and, and understanding and stuff like that. That that is a fair statement. I'm I'm still talking to my clients on 2021 plans. I mean, they've with the pace of change. Who knows what's going to happen in 2021 from a COVID standpoint? Yes. Uh, but at, at least with all of that, it's very fluid. The, the goals and objectives are fluid, which is also part of the reason why the financial side of the house, like a lot of the projects, are not getting approved or they're getting approved so fast because it's the the, the objective keeps changing, right? Yeah. Because we have gone from setting aside budget to subscription budget, where I don't know what services I need. Let's just try it out on the cloud and see if it helps us, you know, so. Awesome. Hey, Abi, did I miss anything that you would like to cover? Any important points um, in, our, in our podcast here? The only thing I will call out is, again, like I said, and I always tell everybody, people who enable our businesses and prospective clients, we need to listen very carefully to some of the problems they're facing because a lot of the things that the core hasn't changed is just the paradigm we are operating in has changed a lot. And bottom line, I would say try, fail fast, learn, evolve, iterate, and that's how you're going to keep adding value to the organization. That's how you will have meaningful conversations. Again, I don't think that principle changes from life to implementation. But I also think that cloud and some of these uh, new platforms are giving us that capability to fail faster and course correct our thought processes and ideas and things like that. And so it's bringing and enabling more collaboration. So I would highly encourage everybody to think of things like that, be it analytics, be it data pipelines, be it DevOps, whatnot. That is a good advice to our listeners. Try, learn, evolve, and change. Abi, thank you so much for joining us today. I have enjoyed a talk here. Um, you know, we've covered a lot of topics here from BI vendors to AI to human touch or the user experience side. Really appreciate all the thought here. Abi, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Intelligent Data with Arvind Morali. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure you don't miss a single episode. You can find this season along with show notes at perficient.com. 
or listen to this series on top podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, or Amazon.